0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is not by our own strength. Before I talk about this a little more, I just want to send out my greetings. Greetings to all of you who are here in the flesh. (laughs) Greetings to people who are watching online on various different sizes of screens and phones and Mm -hmm. listening to the audio. And some of you may even be now getting an acupuncture treatment for an hour. And this is a nice (laughs) way to... You know, relax while that's going on. So just know that uh, my heart is with you. Thank you for for joining us for the Spirit and Life Bible Study. And uh, not by our own strength. my Meditation tonight has to do with the fact, um, well, before I tell you about that, let me tell you about the Spirit and Life Bible Study. The Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible, and I like to say looks at the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, through a Swedenborgian lens. The name comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So the topic tonight has to do with, with this. Let me try to set this up a little bit. The, um, the Bible foretells this magnificent future. Uh, if you're interested in seeing more about this, you can look back to previous episodes of this Bible study. If you go to our website, spiritandlifebiblestudy.com, you can see topic areas. And these topics will be under topic number three, the second coming. Uh, that this idea of the second coming or the future or what I like to call Christianity version 2.0 is incredibly bright and beautiful. It'll be a time when there's such amazing love between people. People will be very wise about how to care for each other. Uh, evil will be driven to the periphery. Uh, there'll be a presence of God as never before on this earth. Um, and, and people will be the embodiment of angels, there be a heaven on earth. So it's a, it's, that's a, just a very brief thumbnail. But there are numerous passages, both in the prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that talk about this glorious time that has yet to come. Uh, now, although there are lots of good things that are going on in our world, uh, when I compare that with where we are now, it seems not as good. Uh, it seems like there's some hatred and killing here and there in our world. Um, there's just nasty stuff that goes on. There's cold-heartedness and, and so on, di- divisiveness between people and even horrible, atrocious things happening in the name of religion and so on. You know, it, it just it doesn't seem quite as good as that vision of the future. And so I've been wondering and pondering and meditating, because it's very important to me, as I'm sure it is to you, good friends, that we move in that direction. And how do we move? How do we get from A to B? How do we get from where we are in society today to this vision of a more loving society, of a more um, uh, inclusive and, and um, you know, a, a society that accepts differences between people, a, a society that values the gifts that each person has from the Lord and that kind of thing? How do we get from here to there and I would submit to you that I think that's exactly the same question as how we uh, turn into angels part of the uh, belief system behind this Bible study is that angels are not a separately created race uh, they are just us later on uh, they're all you know your your uh, grandparents and ancestors and so on who, who are up there in the spiritual world and the goal here. Uh, and how we would achieve a heaven on earth would be by individuals becoming more heavenly, more angelic And so how do we go through that process? because um, this is the time of year that um, already people's New year's resolutions are starting to lapse and, and um, you know we can hardly control ourselves uh, how are we going to be able to become more angelic as individuals and how will our world become more heavenly, and these are not trivial questions, they seem like really, really important things. But how are we gonna do all that? So I invite you to join us on this journey and let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us together in your name. You are the Word made flesh, We pray for your increased presence among us to give us light, to give us compassion, to give us understanding. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, friends, um, to approach this, we're going to read some scriptures. And I was meditating, but I do have to tell a little bit of this story that that I was meditating on this. I woke up the other morning and I just had this deep sense of dissatisfaction. I don't know whether you ever go through that, of feeling like, uh, yes, there are good things happening, but it's not nearly good enough. It's not strong enough. There's not enough people. There's not, you know, uh, it's not enough. That kind of uh, divine dissatisfaction, as some have called it. And, um, and then it was interesting that in my devotional reading, I've been working my way through Daniel, and so I just you know read a chapter every morning, so I was up to Daniel chapter eight. And so I read Daniel chapter eight, And in Daniel, there's this, it sounds amusing, (laughs) there's this really horrible goat. I mean, this goat is really (laughs) bad. And interestingly, this goat gets dealt with without hands, or in different translations, without human hands. And I was very interested. I'd just been thinking about what can we do to make the world better? And then I read this thing that says, well, in effect, to me, it said, well, you're not going to do it by yourself. You know, that's where our title comes. From. Not by our own strength, not by our You know, we're not going to build this heaven on earth just simply under the power of our own lower selves. You know, uh, that's not how this thing is going to happen. Uh, but how is it going to happen? And so I assembled some scriptures. And this is really bizarre, friends, and I apologize in advance. Uh, but the way I want to do this tonight is I want to read backwards from the book of Revelation. So we're going to be going to the left all night instead of to the right. But I've got them all in sequence. And uh, some of you know how this Bible study works, that we just read a scattering of different things, and lots is unexplained and left on the table and loose ends and so on. It's glorious. It's really wonderful. And, um, but we're looking for themes. I think you'll be able to see, and hopefully I'll be able to indicate, how these different passages relate to the issue of our own doing. One more thing I want to say before we get started with that is that there's kind of a conundrum at the very heart of of Christianity, I think. And this is something that many, many Christian thinkers and, and people have wrestled with, which is both that we are very clearly told, I mean hundreds if not thousands of times in Scripture, that we have to, that our salvation is according to our works according to our deeds. There are countless passages that that's what the basis of our salvation is. And yet there are also passages uh, like John 15 that says, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So we're both told that we have to in scripture and we're told that we can't. And this is kind of a crazy making proposition. And so how is it How can we, if we can't, uh, and we have to, and how does that work? And the solution that some people have come up with is this idea that it's salvation by faith alone. You just have to believe because you really can't do it. No one is righteous and so on. Uh, But to my mind, that's an unsatisfying answer. It doesn't really do it because it doesn't explain why Scripture would tell us hundreds, if not thousands of times, to do something that we supposedly can't do, which is to be good, as my father used to say to me so often. And um, uh, so let's look at passages about our doing, both passages that say that we have to do, and then a lot that say that we can't do it, or we can't do it of ourselves, and try to ponder uh, this mystery. Let's start right at the back of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22. In 22, verse 14, there's a very important... Kind of archetypal doing passage that, to my mind, all alone kind of undoes the whole foundation of salvation by faith alone. Uh, that's 22, verse 14.
1: Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city.
0: Yes, that's right. Doing his commandment, and that's very directly associated with salvation. Because the tree of life and entering through the gates into the city means heaven. It's quite obvious to anybody, I'm sure, that that means going to heaven. That that you go to heaven if you do the Lord's commandments. Okay, so that's a have to kind of passage, right? (laughs) Right. Or at least it's a, you know, if you want to go to heaven, this is what you have to do. Look at Revelation chapter 3 to your left, uh, verse 8. There's a statement that this angel says to the church in Philadelphia. It's a different Philadelphia than the one we're in here, but Mm. 3 verse 8.
1: I know your works. See I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Mm. For you have a little strength.
0: You have a little strength. See we're told we have to do the commandments and yet we're told we have a little strength. And these are very good people. And when Swedenborg explains this passage, he says that when it says you have a little strength, it means what's good about those people is that they know they only have a very little strength. You know, this is partly why they're able to be good is because they know they can't do it of themselves or by themselves. Uh, Go on. I interrupted you, dear. I've never done that before, but um, go on.
1: For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name.
0: All right, thank you. So just a little strength, you know? Um, Interesting. All right, let's turn to the left, and you'll go through some epistles of the apostles, and get to Hebrews. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13, because there's an important statement here. Mm, that weighs in on one side of the question. Thirteen, verse eight.
1: Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm,
0: Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means He is not going to change. What that means to me is that if, if the second coming occurs in whatever form, if all these grand things happen in the future it will be not because he changed he's the same yesterday today and forever it'll be because we changed right it you know if he's the same any change is gonna be on (coughs) us so that's kind of a heavy responsibility to think about that actually the way that this whole thing unfolds is a matter of our reception Because the Lord is exactly the same as He was. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so He's not changing. It's up to us and our receptivity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turn to the left. And very shortly before Hebrews, you will see Titus, will you not? The other side of Philemon. Titus chapter 3. And I want to read verses 3 to 8 so often. Now this is one of the epistles of Paul. And so often what you get in the epistles is a glorious statement of we can't, and it's always within a few verses of we have to, you know? (laughs) And here's one of those cases. Uh, Look at verse 3, starting in verse 3 of Titus chapter 3.
1: For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another.
0: Who knew that was bad? I thought that was like called a call to lifestyle. Go on.
1: <laughs> but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, uh-huh. not by works of righteousness which we have done. Oh,
0: not by works of righteousness. Hmm, not by works of righteousness that we have done. Interesting. Okay.
1: But according to his mercy, he saved us.
0: Mm, You see, so this is kind of a smoking gun passage that people use to say that we're not saved by our works. Even though there are hundreds and thousands of passages that say that we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what is the nuance here? Let's go on. Okay. Uh, According to his mercy, he saved us. uh,
1: Through the washing of regeneration. Oh,
0: isn't that an interesting word for those of you who have read Swedenborg? Uh, There it is, the washing of regeneration
1: and renewing of the Holy Spirit
0: and I notice the ings there the washing Mm. which is an ongoing process of regeneration Mm. and the renewing of the Holy Spirit
1: whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace by grace
0: that sort of means you know we didn't earn it or whatever
1: we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life.
0: Okay, so that sounds like, hey, you don't do your way in. It's not brownie points. You don't earn merit and so on. It's the Lord's grace. Through, but it's through this thing called the washing of regeneration. What exactly is that? Some people have said, oh, that's water baptism. That's what that is. Uh, look at verse 8 there.
1: This is a faithful saying, mm-hmm. and these things I want you to affirm constantly, uh-huh. that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works.
0: Oh, wait a minute. You just told me what I do has no impact. You're, you're, you're trying to tell me that you just said in verse 5, not by works of righteousness that I have done, and in verse 8, be careful to maintain good works? Huh. Little crazy making. Have to, can't. Right? Mm -hmm. These things are good and profitable for people to do. Okay, now how I would resolve this, in a rare moment of actually trying to explain anything. uh, (laughs) uh, I think that works of righteousness there is talking about Mm self-righteousness. You know, it's talking about things that you do from your own lower self that we don't save ourselves by making a five-year strategic plan, Uh, you know, uh, that we are not able to get rid of evil by ourselves. It's through this process the Lord gives us called the washing of regeneration, which has to do with repentance, and it's a washing. It goes on for ages, uh, this process of renewal that the Lord gives us if we follow His commandments. And it's very important to go through that process that we be doing good works. That's part of the regeneration. It's not, as an as ugly rumor says, that it's just that our good works witness to our faith, and so they help others believe, but they're really just secondary to our faith. No, James makes it very clear that the, the, the soul is good works, and the, and the faith is the body that, that comes from that. Um, all right, that was a quick little thing. Uh, let's turn to the left and go to Colossians. So you go through things, with a T and you after 1 Thessalonians to your left you get to Colossians. This is also an epistle of Paul and look at chapter two, verse eleven. There was much talk about the ancient Jewish rite of circumcision in early Christianity and whether it was necessary or not. So we jump in the mid sentences we always do with Paul two verse eleven.
1: In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands.
0: Ah, without hands. I see. So there's a circumcision that involves the human hand or whatever, but this is a different kind of circumcision. This is not something that people do. This is something that the Lord does. And what is it?
1: By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ.
0: Hmm. Okay, so this is some process, I would say, that this is the same as that washing of regeneration we just read about. uh, That by going through this process, it's not that you are able to change yourself. Scripture speaks of the circumcision of the heart, meaning the cleansing and the purification of the heart. And this is not done for us by ourselves. Uh, We aren't able to do heart surgery on ourselves Okay, so file these things away. Let's turn to the left and you'll go through Corinthians and Romans and we'll get to Acts. Acts chapter 17. Very important statement here that I'm sure you're familiar with, friends. In 17 verse 28, passage very much worth uh, committing to memory.
1: For in Him we live and move and have our being.
0: This is in God. Interesting, okay. Hmm. So this kind of sits partway between the two extremes, doesn't it? Is it just God doing it for us? Do we do anything? Do we have to do things that says we have to and yet we're told we can't? Well, this says in Him we live and move and have our being. So it's possible and And desirable to my mind to live and move and have our being in the Lord. Like there's to me that partly says, partly it means that just the Lord's presence is everywhere, but it also means that ideally we are living from the Lord. Like the Lord is in us, we are in the Lord, and we're not just sort of doing our own thing, but the Lord is helping us in that way. Maybe. Uh, Let's turn to the left to (laughs) Acts chapter 3. And I like to compare passages. I find it very interesting to try to put these things together. Oh, Acts chapter 3. Hmm. All right, let's just read for a little bit. This is a fun story. Let's start in the first verse.
1: Okay. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Mm. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So there's (coughs) an image
0: of powerlessness. You can't walk, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Go on. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asks for alms.
0: Yes. Uh, So I gather the alms would be some sort of a donation, right? They'd Mm -hmm. be asking for, you, you know, give me something to help me out, okay?
1: And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, "Look at us." Mm. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they, look at us. oh, okay. This sounds good. This is going to yeah. work out. You know. So they they look up at he looks up at the person, at Peter and John.
1: Then Peter said, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you."
0: Very interesting. He doesn't have silver and gold. They're begging for alms. And then he immediately disappoints them by saying, I don't don't have any silver or gold. I I don't have anything. But what I do have, I will give you.
1: In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Mm. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Mm. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God.
0: Wow, isn't that wonderful?
1: And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John all the people ran together to him in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Mm. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk?
0: You hear that? Why are you looking at us as if by our own power we made this person walk? or by our own godliness. We were so good, we're so great, we're so strong, we did this amazing thing. Why are you looking at us?
1: The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go.
0: Yes, and so (laughs) Peter goes into a little sermon about how bad they are, and then in verse 16...
1: And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong.
0: Has made him strong. Isn't that what we're talking, like how do you get that strength? The Lord has made him strong.
1: Whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, Jesus Christ, has given him, the man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all.
0: Yes, it came from faith. And I'll tell you a fun little secret. Peter means faith, Uh, that's that's the symbolism of Peter, he's a rock. And John has to do with love. You notice at the Last Supper, John is the one who's resting on the Lord's chest and so on. And he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved and so on. uh, That he means love and Peter means faith and they happen to be the two who together are working to heal this person. So it's nice on that level as well. And I love the fact that they say, hey, this wasn't, they have great clarity, don't they? This wasn't, we did not do that. I have no silver, I have no gold, and that too has a correspondence that the silver has to do with faith and the gold has to do with love. You know, this is not coming from myself, but what I do have, I'll give you. I'll give you something that comes from the Lord because Peter has a relationship with the Lord, as does John, and they help him out and he's healed. Great. Okay, turn to the left to John chapter 21, which comes up pretty quickly as you go left. And let's look at the first seven verses real quickly there.
1: Okay.
0: Little parable.
1: After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also.
0: Uh, And may I point out that the disciples were originally fishing when the Lord called them and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So there's an overtone here of the question that I raised earlier on. How do you build... The church. You know, how does that new era, that new spiritual era, get built? Mm. Okay?
1: So they went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing.
0: They did what?
1: They caught nothing. They
0: caught nothing. So how good was their effort? You know, they worked all night and all that effort yielded absolutely nothing. Okay?
1: But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No.
0: They might have said, Thanks for rubbing it in.
1: (laughs) And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Uh So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish.
0: And therefore...
1: That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter...
0: There's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter...
1: It is the Lord.
0: It is the Lord. That's the heart telling the mind. It's the Lord. And so they recognized him because what he said worked. They didn't recognize his form there on the beach. This was after he was resurrected. But they recognized him. Why? Because they'd been working all night with zero success. And this total annoying stranger on the beach said... Try the other side of the boat. And they tried it, and they were ridiculously successful. Uh, So you see why I would bring that up in an evening that's about, well, they still fished, right? It was the same people doing the same activity in picture A and picture B. Just picture B was wildly successful because whose idea was it? It was the Lord's idea to fish on that side of the boat. And that worked. So that's a little picture of how they're doing plus the Lord got a much better result than when they were just doing by themselves. What do you think? Do you think that's true? Mm. Let's turn to the left and go to John 15, which I mentioned earlier. Let's read this famous verse 5.
1: I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing.
0: Uh Aha, without me you can do nothing, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do things. If you abide in the Lord, you bear much fruit. There will be a lot of doing, Mm -hmm. but it will come from that impulse of the Lord. You know, there will be a a relationship between you and the Lord um, in there. Oh, let's turn to the left of John 8. John chapter 8. Let's go to verse 28. Listen to what Jesus says here.
1: Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He.
0: And?
1: And that I do nothing of myself.
0: Not even Jesus does anything of Himself? Wow, if anybody could do something of Himself, it would be Jesus, and yet He Himself says, I do nothing of myself. How He's able to do all those miracles and everything as that he's drawing on that divine love meant by the Father. Okay, Mm. and turn to the left and go to chapter 5. Let's look at verse 19.
1: Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, Mm. but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner.
0: That too has to do with divine love and the divine truth and how they work together. And so the important point there is that even Jesus says, I can do nothing of my, you know, this is not coming from me. This is not my lower self achieving all this. And uh, look at verse 30.
1: I can of myself do nothing.
0: Yes, thank you. Oh, well, that sounds a more or less like what we said before. And let's go to chapter 3, verse 27 in John.
1: John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven.
0: Yes. So this is a lot like the Lord saying, Without me you can do nothing. You're not going to be successful unless you're receiving something from heaven. It's very important to get that from heaven. Mm-hmm. And chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, He came to His own, and His own received Him not, but...
1: But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God.
0: And the old King James it gave them the power to become the sons of God. Go on.
1: To those who believe in His name.
0: And what was their situation?
1: Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God.
0: And Swedenborg explains <laughs> that the will of the flesh means that evil heart that we have in our outer self. And the will of man means that false understanding that we have in our mind. Uh, that does not make us new. That does, We are not reborn because of that old self. That old self, that evil will, or that false understanding that's not what transforms us. We're born of God. Uh, that, that's where the rebirth comes from. All right. Thank you. Let's turn to the left. Skip all the way through Luke and we'll go to Mark chapter 14, verse 58. This was just an interesting little thing. This is, I don't know how this fits into anything. This is the false witness testifying against Jesus at His trial, and listen to what His false testimony is.
1: We heard Him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands, mm. but not well, even… Well,
0: oh. that's an interesting false witness because He actually did that. I mean that is what He did.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think it's likely that He did say that, you know, but He didn't mean the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, and he's going to raise another temple of Jerusalem without hand, not in a literal way of stone and mortar and all that, uh, but the temple of his body. Uh, I'll destroy this temple that's made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. And yet, this is the testimony of a false witness trying to destroy him and get him in trouble, but none of the witnesses agreed with each other. All right, good. Let's turn to the left and go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verses 42 to 43.
1: Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes.
0: Okay, let's think about this a little bit for a second. In other words, people are building and they have a stone that they think, no, that's the wrong shape. Think about the builders Think about building that angel self. Think about building this new world. And the and the builders have rejected this stone. And yet what happens to it?
1: It became the chief cornerstone.
0: Uh-huh. And tell me more about that.
1: This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes.
0: Yes, it's the Lord's doing. It's mar- it, we didn't expect that. We're marveling because this is what the Lord did. We may have been building away But this is what the Lord did was he made this the chief thing. And then look at verse 43. So that sounds very much like, okay, well, the Lord is doing it. He's the one who does the transformative thing that builds our inner self, that builds the world, and so on. Look at verse 43.
1: Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it.
0: Well, wait a minute. If the Lord is doing everything, why would you need to give it to people who are bearing the fruits? Well, because the people's doing is important, you know? So the Lord is doing it, and yet He's going to give it to people who are bearing fruit, who are, who are doing something. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So the, the, the Bible does sort of keep giving us this dual impression. All right, turn to the left. We're going into the Old Testament, and you will go through the book of Malachi, and you'll get to Zechariah almost immediately. And look at Zechariah chapter 4, if you will. It's the second book in, as you head to the left, (coughs) chapter 4, and I want to read verse 6. This is a very, very potent statement to my mind for what we're talking about tonight.
1: So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Mm.
0: This is all about how the temple will be rebuilt, and it's not going to be built by might, isn't this about that new religious era that's coming? It's not going to be built by might. It's not going to be built by power. It's going to be built by the Spirit of the living God. That's what's going to build it. Uh, so it's, it's not by our hands. And uh, look at verse 9.
1: The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple.
0: Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about that it won't be by what human beings are doing. Hmm. And yet it says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house.
1: His hands shall also finish it. Oh. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you.
0: I'm just trying to point out that often you see something that says, okay, it's by the spirit of the Lord. And it's so clear and so beautiful. Three verses later. Well, human hands are going to be involved in it. They're going to start it. They're going to finish it, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So it's not really as double a message as it seems. Let's turn to the left and let's get back to that Daniel. So keep going until you hit the major prophets. Daniel chapter 8 about this goat. We don't have time to read it all, but there's this terrible goat. It really is sort of a terrifying passage he gets this enormous horn and he busts up everything else in sight and he throws down the sanctuary and tramples on the sacrifices and he's really, really awful. And then look in 8, verse 25.
1: Eight twenty-five. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule mm. and he shall exalt himself in his heart.
0: Yes, okay.
1: He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He Mm. shall even rise against the prince of princes.
0: Yeah, okay, so this is a spirit that's going to rise up even against God himself, full of deceit, unpeacefulness, and all that against prosperity, but...
1: But he shall be broken without human means.
0: Yes, he shall be broken without human means. In the Old King James, he shall be broken without hand without hand. And other translations say without human hands. Mm. He shall be broken without hands. So there are certain types of evil that are above our pay grade. You know, we can go through the motions, we can follow the commandments and so on, but we don't have the power of ourselves to break that. We're sort of hooked by it. And it takes the Lord to deal with that Inner goat, if you will. Uh, let's turn to the left and get to Jan- Daniel chapter 2. There go. And there's a similar thing. This is that dream of the amazing image mm. of the head of gold and the chest of silver and so on. And uh, look at verse 34 there.
1: You watched while a stone was cut out without hands.
0: Without hands.
1: Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces.
0: Yes, this is an image of how all these previous religious eras came to an end. And this thing that replaced them all uh, was cut out without hands. And let's read verse 35.
1: Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. Mm. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth.
0: And stone has to do with truth and mountain has to do with love. And this this, this is part of what I'm saying. In, in, eventually in this world, this love will fill the whole earth. That's where we're going. And something essential about that will not be of human hands. You know, that stone won't be cut out by human hands. Uh, That'll be of divine origin. Good, 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 good. Turn to the left. Go through Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We'll get into Isaiah here. Um, Turn quite a few pages there. We'll go to the end of Isaiah, chapter 63. This is, again, I can't prove it to you right now, but this is about the end of one religious era and the beginning of another one. This is a prophecy of the Lord coming into the world. It says at the end of verse 1 that the Lord is the one who speaks in righteousness, mighty to save. And look at the opening of verse 3.
1: I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. Yes,
0: yes. That's a picture of how the Lord took on some of this redemption entirely alone. There was not support from the heavens. There wasn't support from people on earth. Uh, There was an essential divine function that had to happen entirely alone. And a passage that uh, our dear reader turned me on to here, Isaiah 44, verse 24.
1: 24, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself.
0: And if your mind lifts up, you can see that those heavens have to do with the inner self and the earth has to do with the outer self. And the Lord is the creator of both those parts of us. And he does that work alone. In the creation story, it, God does everything. You know, we're, we're not doing anything Uh, God does everything in that creation story. So there's an essential truth there. Good, good. Turn to the left and get to Psalm 127. We're tearing through. Uh, Oh, this is so important. Psalm 127, verse 1. Some of you have probably already been thinking of it in your mind. So important. Look at this.
1: Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Mm. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain.
0: Yes. Now, let me ask you, are people building? Yes, people are building. Are watchmen watching? Yes, they are. But doesn't this say that there's two different ways to do that? You can do that with the Lord, It it, it didn't say they won't build, you know, unless the Lord is building, everybody will stop or when the Lord does build, everybody quits and goes home. It doesn't say that. It says, unless the Lord is building the house, their labor is wasted, who are building it. They're still building, you know. So isn't that a little picture of our doing that that we have to do something and yet if we don't have the Lord working with us, it's kind of pointless. It's not going to work. And the same with protecting the city and and waking in vain, and so on. Uh, Turn to the left. You go through the very giant Psalm 119. We'll get to Psalm 118. Verses 22 to 24.
1: The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone.
0: Oh, wait a minute. That's what was just quoted in Matthew 21, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Look at that. Okay, this is from the Psalms. Go on.
1: This is what the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Mm,
0: See, the builders reject it, but the Lord said, no, this is the main thing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And then look at that very next passage. Familiar, isn't it?
1: This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it.
0: Yeah, we're not making the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's right. Um, good 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 good. Psalm 100, turn to the left. We're actually coming down the home stretch here, good and patient friends. Psalm 100 verse 3. Look at that statement right there.
1: Mm. Know that the Lord, he is God. He
0: is God.
1: It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Mm. We are his people, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture.
0: Yes. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. He's the creative force. So we may compliment ourselves that, oh, i made," you know, a self-made man and all that kind of thing. Well, no, it's the Lord who has made us and not we ourselves. He's the one who, who builds us up. And yet, our doing is very important to that. And you see that in Psalm 90, if you turn to the left there. Psalm 90 begins, we just read it recently in Bible study, that, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all mm-hmm. generations before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting. You're God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, our children, a thousand years in your sight like yesterday when it's passed. It is all about how ephemeral we are. We just last for a few years and then we're dead and so on. It says, days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, but it's soon cut off and we fly away. So it's all about... How little we really add up to. And then look at the um, last three verses from verse 15 on.
1: Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. The years in which we have seen evil. Mm. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Here it is. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Be
0: upon us. How does that happen? How does the beauty of the Lord be upon us? And what will that beauty do for us?
1: And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Mm.
0: Our doing is so feeble. You know, there's nothing to it. What are we going to do on our own? But if the beauty of the Lord our God, which has to do with the beauty of love, the beauty of truth, if those qualities are in us and working with us, that establishes the work of our hands. We're still supposed to do that work. Of, you know, it's not as soon as the Lord comes in, we leave. It's like when somebody better at doing the dishes comes in and you, you quit and leave the kitchen. <laughs> it's not like that. You work together. But the beauty of the Lord comes upon us and establishes the work of our hands for us. And it repeats it again. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We have to do, but we cannot do of ourselves ourselves without the Lord's help. We have to work in a partnership with the Lord. I think that's the Mm. essence of this conundrum. And turn to the left to Job, verses 38, if you will. There's a great little thing in here about the Lord as a creator. And he asked Job some very humbling questions. 38, verse 4.
1: Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? (laughs)
0: yes humbling is it not you know I didn't notice you next to me when I was creating everything you know Uh, were you there um, you know when I made the cloud in verse 9 and when I said uh, this is how far you'll come and no further you know here's where the sea is going to stop look at verse 12
1: have you commanded the morning since your days began?
0: Are you that one who causes the sunrise? Is that is that you or, or is that me? I forget which one of us does that. That's right. Uh, verse 17.
1: Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Mm. Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death?
0: Mm, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you know how to cause rain and to, you know, make everything bud? Look at verse uh, 31.
1: Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades?
0: Yes, these stars in the sky. Are you able to do that? Are you able to bind the cluster of the Pleiades?
1: Or loose the belt of Orion? Yes.
0: Are you able to undo the belt of Orion? (laughs) That's just wonderful, isn't it? Go on.
1: Oh, Can you bring out Mazaroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth?
0: Mm. And it goes on and on like that. In fact, it goes on for several chapters. Do you know when the wild goats come forward? Do you know when the the animals give birth? Um, uh, So on and so forth. Um, Even into chapter 40 there. Mm. Um, Look at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 40.
1: Would you indeed annul my judgment? Mm. Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Mm.
0: And here's a good question.
1: Have you an arm like God?
0: You got pretty mighty guns there, pal, but I don't think you're quite (laughs) up to the God level. Okay.
1: Or can you thunder with a voice like his?
0: Yes. Look at that. Uh, They're just wonderful, wonderful questions. And by the way, look at verse 41, chapter 41, verse 1. It has this whole riff about this Leviathan, this giant kind of water serpent.
1: Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook Mm. or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Mm. Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you?
0: What this is all about is the evils that plague us. If we could see evil from a Lord's eye perspective... Let me talk about this a little bit, if I may, friends. Um, when we do something, you just, boom, put out your hand or something like that. just seems like one thing to us. Boom. I just stuck my hand out. But you know if you were going through a functional MRI, your brain is going, <coughs> right? It's All kinds of chemical things are going on in the brain. It's communicating the spine. Things are going down the arm muscles, balancing. <coughs> all, all this stuff is happening, and it just comes out as, boom one little action. Well, unbeknownst to us, every time we have a thought or a feeling, that same kind of lightning is radiating through the spiritual world. And it involves, Swedenborg says, hundreds of thousands of spirits. One lousy feeling you have, hundreds of thousands of spirits. And so we have no idea. You know, when we have some evil desire in our hearts, We just think it's just one little thing, like, oh, I just want to say something snarky to that person or, you know, or or whatever it is. Uh, That is the result of this incredible firing of hundreds of thousands of spirits in the other world. There are spirits that are in pride. There are spirits that are in lust. There are spirits that just have to do with the flesh. Spirits that want revenge. Spirits that, that want to take away joy, you know, and they're all working together in this astounding way, in one little lousy feeling or thought that we have. It is way above our pay grade to deal with those 100,000 dudes and dudesses who are making us feel that way. We can't do it. We, We have no idea what evil is. We're ignorant. We're all the way down at the bottom. We have no idea. The Lord just says in His commandments, just don't do it, okay? And then the Lord helps, and he's able to deal with that whole massive thing. If we just change the behavior, he's able to deal with the evil. This Leviathan, he's asking Job, are you able to deal with that whole Leviathan? You know, because there's a Leviathan in your heart. Do you have the power? Can you hook that thing and just pull it wherever you want? Answer, no. Keep asking yourself the question until you get a no. Uh, You can't do that. We can't do it. We're reliant on the Lord to do that. Mm. Okay, do we have time for one more scripture? Let's turn to the left and let's go through a whole bunch of stuff. The 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 2nd and 1st Kings. And I want to go back to 2nd Samuel, chapter 6. Mm. Interesting little story here. (laughs) The Ark of the Covenant, which contains these ten commandments, the commandments of God, was being brought back and returned to the children of Israel, and it was a cause of great rejoicing. And look at verse 3.
1: So they set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart.
0: Okay, that's good. And here they come. They're going along. And in verse 5, all these musical instruments are being played and so on. And verse 6.
1: And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled.
0: Ah, oh, the oxen stumbled. You know this story, don't you, good friend? Some of you will know it. That Uzzah puts out his hand to try to steady the ark. See not by our own strength, right? He puts out his hand to try to steady it because the oxen stumbled and what happened in verse 7?
1: Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God.
0: Wow, he was struck dead because he touched the ark. Now that may seem sort of harsh and cruel Uh, but it's because of the correspondence of it that that has to do with our helping. We're helping. Now, put your finger in there for a second, if you will, because I want to come back here in a second, but turn to the left and go all the way into the five books of Moses, go back through Deuteronomy and into Numbers. Mm. Numbers chapter 7. Okay. Okay. If you look at chapter 7, these people brought this offering in verse 3 of six covered wagons and 12 oxen. And this was for uh, transporting the tabernacle. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay? All right. And look in verse 6 Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Now, the Levites, there were three branches of the Levites Gershon, Merari, and Kohath were the three branches. And uh so how many so how many does he have? He's got six wagons and twelve oxen. Okay, so uh can you read there verse, verse seven, let's seven.
1: say. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service.
0: Okay, so that's two and four. Okay, that makes sense. Then you have two each and you have four each, right?
1: Go on. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, mm. according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest.
0: Now, wait a minute. Two wagons plus four wagons is six, they're the carts, yeah. and four oxen plus eight oxen, that's 12. Wait, only two of the sons got carts and oxen, and one of them got twice as many as the other one. So what about the third one?
1: But to the sons of Kohath he gave none. Because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders.
0: Oh, they were not. Oh, wait a minute. They were not supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. They were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. They were, David and everybody was doing the whole wrong thing by having the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. You were supposed to carry it on your shoulders. Everybody else gets a cart to carry all the other stuff. But the Ark of the Covenant is something we have to carry ourselves. Shoulder has to do with our power. It's something that you have to carry yourself. You don't leave that to the oxen and the carts. Okay, so that's the nature of their service. So can you turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 6? So they, they put this Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And they're carrying it on a cart. And then the oxen stumble, and the guy reaches out and touches the ark, and he dies. And look down in verse 13. David was petrified by this, and he left the ark for a long time uh, just where it was because he was really scared that everybody was going to get killed and everything. And so they finally got moving again because it seemed like the danger was over. And in verse 13, what do they do?
1: And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had... They did what to it? When those bearing the Ark of the Lord... Oh,
0: they carried it. They figured out you're not supposed to use a cart. You know, (laughs) so they finally picked it up and now you're not in danger anymore because they're doing it the right way. Now, David never admitted, oh, sorry, guys, I had you do it the wrong way when we put it on the cart. Uh, But that was actually not the way it was supposed to be done. Now, that makes God sound arbitrary and ridiculous. But when you realize that that is a picture of what we've been talking about all night here that there's something about that connection between the Lord and us through that doing. And it's through the commandments. That's what they're carrying. We are supposed to carry the commandments. That's what we carry with our power. That's what we carry on our shoulders. We carry the Ten Commandments. So we try to live by those commandments. Part of what we're talking about here is that it is absolutely necessary for us to do as if we were the only force, you know, In in play Uh, but there's a recognition that scripture is trying to urge on us that the Lord is telling us it's not it's not you if it's working it's not you it's because I'm in the equation and we're working together and you're following the commandments and I'm helping you out it's a partnership It's a true partnership. It's kind of a mind-boggling idea, the idea of a partnership between God and human beings. And yet when you look at it, see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. So whatever this change is that goes on in our world and whatever this change is that's going to go on in ourselves has to be a part of our response. And yet it has to be a partnership with the Lord. If we try to do it ourselves, it's gonna add up to nothing. It's He who has made us and not we ourselves. But we can't just let the Lord do it. You know, that's not good doctrine either, just to say, well, the Lord will fix it, you know, after a while as the song says or something. Uh, But as if we're not going to be involved, it's a partnership. We can't do it without the Lord, but actually the Lord can't do it without us either. We are the legs and arms, you know, we're, we're the hands. So it's not by our hands, it's not by human hands. It's not particularly, if you can see this, by the power of that lower self. It's not by our evil heart. It's not by our own self-centered thoughts and so on that we're going to get there. It's by the faith and love that we receive from the Lord as we live the commandments. That's, that's what's going to uh, make things move forward. So it's about Humility. Uh, it's about the fact that yes we have to and on our own we can't but with the Lord we can. That's how you know, we can solve this little problem. Uh, following the commandments is the way that the Lord has given us. That washing of regeneration is a process the Lord has given us so that we can be in Him and He can be in us and so that our doing comes from the Lord. Have you had the experience? I'm sure you have good friends where sometimes you wake up first thing in the morning or, or you're just doing something and you, you feel some compassion or you, feel you have an idea and it turns out to be a good idea. You know, the Lord can be in our minds and hearts, inspiring us with these little quiet ideas, that still small voice, that just, well, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And when we do those things, then we're doing from the Lord. And that stuff really works. In fact, you can tell which one is the Lord unless the Lord builds the house, We're laboring in vain. It's so important that we work to build a new world. It's so vitally important. Where are we going to be without that? We've got to do it. And yet of ourselves alone, we cannot do it. We're not going to achieve anything. Without me, you can do nothing. So we have to follow the commandments. Then we'll have the right to the tree of life. Then we'll enter the city through the gates then the Lord will be in us and in our doing. And as the Lord is within us, then as we follow the commandments, He can work in us and through us in a sense. It's not charging through like an automaton, but He can work in a partnership with us to get these good things done, to build us into the angel people that we should be, and ultimately even to build a heaven on earth, to build this magnificent vision of what lies ahead. I don't know how you feel, friends, but that really motivates me to get working on on my repentance and it makes it clear what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to acknowledge that we only have a little strength. We don't have the power of ourselves to transform the world. You know, in, in, the, in, the, in our lower selves, we're, we're as bad as everybody else, absolutely as bad as everybody else. In fact, Swedenborg talks about, as you regenerate, you come into the sanity of realizing you are the worst of all human beings. Uh, This is a difficult thing to realize, but sometimes when we're left to our own devices, we realize that we're nothing to write home about. Uh, But look at Peter and John, how they were able to heal that lame person. Say, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I can give you something of the Lord, and don't you think that this came from my own power, This came from the Lord uh, working with me and my cooperation with the Lord. How's that, good friends? Uh, Shall we close with a prayer? Mm. Lord Jesus Christ. In Your Word, it says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let those who hear say, come, and let those who are thirsty come and drink the water of life freely. We wish to be those who hear, Lord. We wish to pass on this message, this invitation. We want to pray that You come into our world with light and love. We pray for this world to be like Jerusalem, That's mentioned in the Old Testament that you are a wall of fire all around her and you will be the glory in her midst. We pray, Lord, that you come into this world with light, with power, inspire our hearts with compassion, with insight, insight so that we can help others out of their miry pit and set their feet on the rock so that they can move forward in their lives. Help us, Lord to heal this world, every one of us, knowing that we're no better than anybody else on the planet. In fact, we're worse. That's why we know you. That's why you're reaching out to us. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to this task and thank you for showing us how it is to be done. Let our hands be your hands, our shoulders your shoulders. Lord, our words your words. Our Father, who, are who art in the heavens, heavens. hallowed be thy, be thy name. Let's keep on repenting, friends, for all the usual reasons.